Psalm 50, we're going to begin at verse 14. We'll read two verses and then we'll skip down to verse 23. Let's read the word of the Lord together, shall we? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. And now verse 23. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. Lord, open our hearts now that we may receive your word, may receive and hear what the Spirit will say in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches to you. I pray blessing upon them. And I lift up our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray especially for sons and daughters that have wandered from the faith. I ask you to draw them back to you. Don't let one of them be lost, Lord. I pray for this. I believe for this in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. One of the most devastating wars in history was fought in Germany between the years 1618 to 1648, known as the Thirty Years' War. By the time it was over, historians estimate that the population of Central Europe dropped from 21 million to 13.5 million during that time as a result of deaths from battles, starvation, and epidemics. The small city of Eilenburg, Germany was located near Leipzig, which in the 20th century ended up behind the Iron Curtain in East Germany for several decades. During the Thirty Years' War, Eilenburg was a walled city that quickly became a place of refuge for thousands of frightened and displaced Germans fleeing the devastating conflict. The sudden overcrowding caused widespread floods Uh, food shortages. Starving residents soon began fighting in the streets for dead cats and birds. In addition to the famine, densely packed humanity and filth soon led to an outbreak of plague. Martin Rinkert was a Lutheran pastor in the town of Eilenburg. The beginning of 1637, the year of the great pestilence, There were four ministers in Eilenburg. One abandoned his post for healthier areas and could not be persuaded to return. Soon after, Pastor Rinkert officiated at the funerals of the other two. As the only pastor left in town, he averaged conducting 15 funerals a day, but sometimes did services for as many as 40 to 50 persons a day some 4,480 in all. In May of that year, one of the funerals was for his own wife. By the end of the year, the refugees had to be buried in trenches without services. During this time of horrible devastation and heartbreak, Martin Rinkert composed a table grace for his children. These words have become one of the most well-known thanksgiving hymns of all time. 
Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices who wondrous things hath done in whom his world rejoices who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. As a pastor myself, I know the pressure of two funerals in one day. I know the emotional drain of three funerals in a week. I cannot begin to imagine what it would be like to conduct 50 funerals in one day and then do it the next day and the day after and the day after that. I've seen the toll on this congregation in the last several months as we have witnessed so many beloved members and friends transition from earthly life to eternal life. Today, there are empty seats where loved ones used to sit every week. There's an energy that is missing because of their absence. At the same time, we still have those who are struggling to recover and the compassion and concern and care we provide for them in this season of need is often physically taxing and emotionally draining. When you're dealing with grief, it's hard to recapture the momentum that has been lost. When you're distracted and trying to heal, it's hard to think creatively and cast vision for a hopeful future. Some weeks, it feels like we're just going through the motions, hoping something will click. We're a little shell-shocked, just trying to gut it out from one week to the next. You don't have the vantage point that I have of standing in this pulpit and looking out over the faces of the people in the congregation as you come in, and, and you can just see on your face as if there's this dark cloud hanging over you. So on this Sunday, before we pause to celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday, I find myself asking, how could Martin Rinkert find the grace to compose such words of thankfulness in the midst of all the hardship and heartache he was facing? At the same time, I wonder, what will it take for you and me to navigate the troubled world in which we are living? How can we get past the setbacks and regain the ability to move forward? The text for the message from Psalm 50 would suggest that the key to making it in a troubled world is to develop a thankful heart. When you read this psalm, Psalm 50 describes a dramatic courtroom scene. We didn't read the whole thing, but I encourage you to read it on your own. God himself is the judge. He summons the whole world to appear before his tribunal at the foot of Mount Zion. And it soon becomes apparent that his primary complaint isn't with the wicked heathen, 
but rather with those who are his people. The people outwardly were doing everything right. They sacrificed, they recited prayers, they assembled together to worship, but inwardly their hearts had long departed. They went through the motions, but their worship had become empty. They, they would bring their offerings and say their prayers, but there was something missing. There's no sense of them coming into the presence of the Lord to account for their actions. They, they thought it would be enough if they just went through the motions of worship, but it isn't. See, God wants more than worship. He wants his people to fulfill their promises and be wholly devoted to him even as he is committed and devoted to them. This psalm is directed at people who go to church, quote scripture, sing spiritual songs, and have a concept of who God is in your head. But God says, I am not the God you believe me to be. If you believe he is a God that is like you, then you believe in a God that doesn't exist. If you believe he is a God that you can ignore or take for granted, then you believe in a God that doesn't exist. If, he, if you believe he is a God that will allow you to do anything you want and come to him on your terms, then you believe in a God that doesn't exist. If you believe he is a God that doesn't love you because of your past or because of your failures, then you believe in a God that doesn't exist. The problem now is the same problem that existed then in, in this. In, in your religious language and your rituals, you profess allegiance to him. But in your practice, in, in real life, you disregard him. And in this psalm, the Lord calls to task those who claim to be his people, but engage in exploiting others, especially the poor, by stealing from them, lying about them, and sexually exploiting them. See, see, it matters to God how humans treat him, but it also matters equally to God how humans treat one another. Israel had become distracted from the who of worship to the what of worship. When you read this psalm, in verse 7, they had to be told to listen because their ears were tuned to something else. Religion had become old news and dull. They were just going through the motions. And God wanted to show them that he had a personal interest in them. He's not some disinterested, aloof, impersonal deity. He says at the end of verse 7, I am God, your God. Oh, I wish I had the ability to just brand that truth in your spirit today. He's not just the God of the patriarchs. He's not just the God of the prophets. He's not just the God of the apostles. He's not just the God of the early church. He's not just the God of the Reformation. He's not just the God of the Pentecostal outpouring. He's not just the God of the charismatic renewal. He is God your God. And according to verse 8, he isn't summoning you to come before his tribunal because there's anything wrong with your religious practice. He says in verse 8, I do not reprove you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. 
So the problem isn't your church going or your hymn singing or your hand raising or your generous offerings. The problem is when you think you're pleasing to God because you observe the religious rituals on Sunday, but you go about your business as if God doesn't exist or doesn't care what you do the rest of the week. The problem is when you limit worship to response and ignore the relationship. God says in verses 9 through 12, I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. He says, I know every bird on the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. He says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. See, your expressions of praise and worship are nice, but God doesn't need them. If you worship him, it doesn't make him any more God. If you don't worship him, it doesn't make him any less God. He's God all by himself. What he's looking for is someone with whom he can have a relationship. He's looking for someone who will be the same on Monday through Saturday as he is on Sunday. He's looking for someone who will be the same on the inside as he is on the outside. I like the way the Living Bible translates verses 13 through 15. It says it like this. No, I don't need your sacrifices of flesh and blood. What I want from you is your true thanks. I want your promises fulfilled. He says, I want you to trust me in your times of trouble so I can rescue you and give me glory. What God is calling for here is what I call a revival of, right, of thankfulness. A revival of thankfulness. He says, all of this is good, but somehow we're missing the, the, the key element, which is thankfulness. True thankfulness. This is the attitude. This attitude of thankfulness is the attitude that looks past the present trial to focus on the God who is over and above all. This is the attitude that doesn't deny the adversity, but continues to trust that God is still at work bringing about all things according to his divine will and his master plan. This is the attitude that doesn't ignore the pain, but still refuses to give up. It's what we were singing about. I shall not be moved. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is what the psalmist sang about in Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. This is the instruction in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This was the prayer of George Matheson. He was the famous blind preacher of Scotland. Here's what George Matheson prayed. My God, I have never thanked you for my thorns. I have thanked you a thousand times for my roses, but not once for my thorns. I have always looked forward to the place where I will be rewarded for my cross, but I have never thought of my cross as a present glory in itself. 
He continued to pray, teach me, O Lord, to glory in my cross. Teach me the value of my thorns. Show me how I have climbed to you through the path of pain. Show me it is through my tears I have seen my rainbow. This is what the Lord says to those who are his people here in verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It's a call for a revival of thankfulness. See, thankful is an affirmation of the relationship that God is your God. Thankful is establishing a connection with the Almighty that refuses to be shaken no matter how boisterous the storms blow. Giving thanks requires admitting dependence on the one who delivers. It means knowing you cannot save yourself. Giving thanks acknowledges what God has already done in the past and at the same time prepares the way for future deliverance. See, I just wonder how your life would be different if you would spend more time looking for things to be thankful for than looking for things to criticize. I wonder how your life would be different if you spent more time being thankful and less time thinking about how you've been mistreated. I'm just wondering how your life would be different if you spent more time being thankful and less time wallowing in self-pity. These are some of the things a pastor wonders when he sits in his office and just muses. I wonder how your life would be different if you spent more time being thankful for what you have and less time complaining about what you don't have. I'll tell you something else I wonder. I wonder how your marriage would be different if you spent more time being thankful for your spouse instead of trying to change your spouse. I wonder how your job would be different if you spent more time being thankful instead of griping about how overworked and underpaid you are. I wonder how your relationship with God would be different if you spent more time being thankful for His goodness and blessings and benefits instead of always asking for more and different and better. Everybody still okay? Well, it's going to get better before we get out of here, I'm just telling you. Notice the instruction of the Lord is to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Not a sacrifice of time or money or talent. A sacrifice of thanksgiving. And I can think today of three reasons for thankfulness. First of all, you ought to be thankful because the world is watching. See, there are people you've tried to witness to who just don't seem to hear anything you have to say about the good news of the gospel. Is that true? But you better believe they're listening to hear what you have to say when the pressure is on. When you're going through the stuff, that's when your words ring the loudest and the truest. If you're grateful and joyful only when things are going good, then how are you any different from the world? What do you have that they would want? Remember in the book of Acts chapter 16, there's a story of Paul and Silas trying to share the good news about Jesus to the citizens in the city of Philippi. You remember that story? Well, their efforts, you remember, get them arrested, flogged, 
imprisoned in the dungeon and their feet fastened in the stocks. Verse 25 of that story in Acts chapter 16 says, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And I think this is my favorite part of the whole, of the whole story when it says, and the prisoners were listening to them. I'm telling you, when the circumstances of your life turn from good to bad, that's when the world is most likely to be watching your response. Suffering provides the greatest opportunity to demonstrate the power of your faith. So be thankful because the world is watching. The second reason for thankfulness I can think of is because Satan is watching. The Bible teaches in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, that you have a spiritual enemy, the devil, who is like a prowling lion. He's going about looking for weak people to attack. Do you know what tips him off and lets him know that you're an easy target and that your suffering has weakened you? It's when he hears your praise turn to complaining and your thanksgiving turn to whining. See, contrary to what some people think, Satan can't read your mind. He isn't like God. He doesn't know what you're thinking. Peter sounds a warning to be careful, be on guard, watch out for Satan's attempts to devour. He says to resist Satan by standing firm in the faith. And the way you resist the enemy and stand firm in your faith is by thanking and praising God, even when it looks like there's nothing left to thank him for. Because when, when your enemy sees your attitude turn bad and your thanksgiving disappear at the first sign of suffering, then he turns up the heat all the more. He's like a lion listening for the sound of a wounded gazelle. He listens for you to gripe and complain. He listens for the sounds that indicate you have no faith or trust in God or gratitude for the good things God has given you. So if reversals come, if tragedy strikes, and he hears you thanking and praising God out loud and acting like you have mountains of faith, he may just be fooled into thinking you're a spiritual giant and go away and leave you alone. (laughs) The world is watching. Satan is watching. There's a third reason for thankfulness. It's because God is watching. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, the prophet delivered a message of rebuke to Asa, who was the king of Judah, because he failed to rely on the Lord for deliverance. In that rebuke, he told the king in verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. See, here God lets us know that he's looking for people through whom he can demonstrate his power and strength. He's looking for people whose hearts are fully committed to him. People who will trust him through the good and the bad and the ugly. People who are willing to thank him even when they're face to face with difficult circumstances. The Lord is looking all over the earth for these people. And when he finds them, he promises to strengthen them. He promises to give them power. He promises to make sure they have whatever they need. Those are the kind of people that honor him and he's looking for people like that. You know, it's interesting to me in the story of Paul and Silas that their thanksgiving brought them freedom because the Bible says that suddenly their chains came loose and and they were loosed from their stocks as God shook the foundation of the prison. You know, their, their, their chains were loosed, but it wasn't until the next day they were actually released from the prison. And I want to tell you that when you start being thankful and praising God in the middle of your lousy circumstances... Those circumstances may not end immediately. 
God may have some other plans that you don't yet understand. But what will happen is when you start that praising and thanking, your chains will come off. Chains of discouragement. Chains of defeat. Chains of whining. Chains of complaining. And they'll be replaced by an attitude of faith. And the next that will happen is the world will see it. People around you will notice that you've changed and they're going to want to know why and want to know how. And then Satan will see it and he'll just go looking for an easier target because you look like you have too much faith for him to mess with. And then God will see it and he'll strengthen you because now you're the kind of person he's looking all over the earth for. Well, go ahead and praise him right there. Just take a moment and praise him for that. is the word of the Lord to us. Praise God. (laughs) Praise God. So this psalm talks about a revival of thankfulness, and I've given you three reasons for thankfulness. Finally, I want you to show you here in verse 15 the rewards of thankfulness. This verse begins with the plea of the Lord. Call upon me. You know, over the years, I've often been surprised where believers will turn when trouble strikes. Doctors, counselors, attorneys, law enforcement officers, social agencies, friends, family, all have their place. And all can be of benefit. But I want to tell you today, as a child of God, you have a divine resource that should never be neglected. (laughs) One of the reasons people don't call on the Lord in the day of trouble is because they just don't have the relationship. Consequently, they're embarrassed to call on Him. Or maybe they're not convinced He can or will help them. They've forgotten Psalm 145 and 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. They've forgotten Psalm 86 and 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. They've forgotten Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. See, in the day of trouble, it's okay to call 911. But don't forget to call on the Lord. It's okay to call the EMTs, but don't forget to call on the Lord. It's okay to call the helpline, but don't forget to call on the Lord. You know, we used to sing a a, a song in old church by Vep Ellis. If the road before you offers naught but toil and pain, if the sun is hidden by dark clouds of rain, If without a ray of hope your life is filled with care, take it to the Lord in prayer. Many are the heartaches that will come to you. Keep your trust in Jesus. He will see you through. Never will you find a friend so kind and true. Take it to the Lord in prayer. 
The reward of thankfulness begins with the plea of the Lord. Then in verse 15, there's the promise of the Lord. He says, call unto me, I shall rescue you. Can I just tell you today, the same God that delivered the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, the same God that delivered the three Hebrew boys from the fiery furnace, the same God that delivered Daniel from the lion's den, the same God that delivered Peter when Herod sought to take his life, the same God who delivered Paul and Silas out of a Roman jail. This is the God who is declaring in verse 7, I am God, your God. This is the same God who promises he will deliver you. The hymn writer understood this truth when he wrote, The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. It's a promise of the Lord. Finally, I want you to see the reward of thankfulness is the praise of the Lord. The Lord declares at the end of verse 15, you will honor or glorify me. God brings his deliverance as an assurance that he cares for you. He brings deliverance to demonstrate to a world that discounts his existence and doesn't believe in his involvement that he is God. Thankfulness is what restores the relationship and he is glorified. Thankfulness changes the atmosphere and he is glorified. Thankfulness releases his power and he is glorified. Now today before I conclude this message, I want to give you verse 23 as both a challenge and a promise from the Lord. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And to him who orders his way aright, I will show the salvation of God. So here's my challenge. In the midst of your grief, in the face of your fears, in the time of your trouble, Keep walking in his way. Order your way aright. And make the sacrifice of thanksgiving. When you do, then you will see the salvation of God. Some of you that are just struggling in the middle of this stuff and and you're battling and and you're questioning and you're and, you're, and you're, you're so burdened down with it. I'm not discounting or dismissing that. I'm trying to help you get out of that. Order your way aright. What does that mean? That means do what God says to do. You know, one of the... One of the um, um, Ooh, I just wanted to lift everybody up today. I didn't want to smack them in the face. <laughs> you know, one of the reasons some of you can't get your prayers answered is because God still got you in the middle of this stuff because he's trying to get your attention because you're still not walking according to his ways. It's not, the, it's not punishment And judgment, it's 
an attempt to let you understand that you need to be walking in the way of the Lord, and, and this is the only way he can get your attention. Because some of you are not even going to pray until trouble strikes. Some of you ignore the house of God until you get in, in trouble. Some of you don't even think about God until all hell breaks loose in your life. And then the first thing you do is, well, I wonder why God's letting this happen to me. It's not God. And it's not the devil. It's the consequence of your own poor choices. And until you change your choice, you're going to keep getting what you've got. Now, aren't you glad that you came to church on the Sunday before Thanksgiving <laughs> to be uplifted and encouraged about giving thanks? You know? Oh, Jesus, why do you even take me down that road? But somebody needs to hear that. Until you, until you walk aright, when you get yourself positioned that way and then... It's, but it's more than just, yeah, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to quote scripture and I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to pray and I'm going to give in the offering and give my tithes. And I'm, it, it, it's, it's, it's more than that. It's, it's, it then becomes this sacrifice of thanksgiving. And in that thanksgiving, what you're saying is, God, I'm casting myself fully upon you. I'm, I, it's you. And at the end of the day, it's you and me. And that's, that's the primary focus. And if you'll get that right, then God will be able to do some, something with all this other stuff that's going on. Pastor Larry, come play and stop me here. So I got to quit. I just wonder if there's anybody that would be willing to offer that sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord today. In the middle of all the mess, in the face of, of all of the craziness, yes, even in the middle of dealing with your own personal hurt and your personal grief, Would you just be able to offer a thanksgiving sacrifice to say, God, it doesn't matter as long as you and I are together. And I'll, I'll thank you because even with all, this, all the craziness and all the mess, all the disappointments, all the heartache, you've been better to me than I deserve. Yes. Stand with me, please. You have a song of thanksgiving we can sing. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Give thanks. 
thanksgiving to him offer up a sacrifice of thanks to him out of my heart Lord right in the middle of all the things that I'm dealing with right now I just want to thank you today because you're a good God you've been good to me I bless you Lord I thank you Lord tell you before we finish up today this is not just what, I, what I'm preaching to you is not something that I just read in a textbook somewhere this is not just an academic exercise it's not just an intellectual affirmation I've walked this path I've lived this path I've walked through times when there seemed no way out and everything was dark and everything was falling apart and in the middle of it just said well I'm just gonna praise the Lord I'm just gonna give thanks to God and I've watched the salvation of the Lord as it came to my life I'm telling you this this is this is something that works grab hold of that transform your life